The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Everybody, welcome to another episode here at the KickPod Podcast, the podcast dojo of inspirational uh, martial arts talk. I am your host, Sensei TJ Williams, here to give you the insight of my martial arts journey, discussing and analyzing martial arts-based subjects, and highlighting martial artists and martial arts past, present, and future all around the world. All right, everybody, we finally made it. Episode 100. Uh, this is episode 100. Uh, this has been an amazing journey. Two years starting off with this podcast and the first episode really trying to um, describe myself and really trying to explain why I do this um, podcast. And yet I made it to one episode 100. So I like to thank all the listeners that's out there and everybody's has been tuned in. So for those who are fans of martial arts and want to least trying to get into martial arts so this will be the podcast to listen to while you're driving your car to work either if it's a half an hour even an hour so this will kind of um set the mood for you going to work and getting ready for battle because yeah going to work is a battle i I should know i always go in there and i wash cars (laughs) yeah all right so for that being said um i brought a guest on um of course i've known him for a, a mighty long time well, he's a martial artist going 30 years, 30 plus years. Um, he has his own business, uh, which is um, United Family Martial Arts in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. So that's across the border for me. And of course, he has uh, a book coming out. And yeah, um, he'll tell you what the name of the book is. So uh, he's, he's excited for that. And of course, he's a two-time NBL um, world champion, which you, if you know NBL, National Black Belt League. And also to add on to that, which is um, pretty much similar to what I do, he is also a pro wrestler. Yeah, let's just say not WWE um, type, but, you know, definitely independent circuit. And um, he's um, agreed to come onto the show and tell him his uh, his martial arts story. So I really thank him for taking the time to do that. So may I introduce you to Jeremy um, Elliott. So I like to bring him on. He'll just um, tell the story. How are we doing? Uh, hey, Tia, thanks. That was a great introduction. And man, hey, I didn't realize uh, 100 podcasts. First, congratulations to you for 100 podcasts. That's a phenomenal accomplishment. And uh, I'm honored to be guest number 100. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping for somebody um, special, but you are special in general because, yeah, you you got a lot of hats on and including the one you got on now. What, what sport is that? Uh, so this is actually um, random fact about me. I'm wearing my uh, Columbia University uh, gear today. Um, something that's a little bit, um, I, I wear many hats, as you say. And so one of them was I got a certificate from Columbia University through doing a semester online for sports management and sports uh, industry essentials. Uh, and it was a great experience. It was a really uh, fun learning experience for me. And it, I, I think, you know, so you're speaking about my book, I just actually wrote a chapter in my book about it. And uh, 
the way they did this education, I thought is actually so beneficial to what they could be doing today with today's kids, where um, it really challenged us to be creative. So it was anything from like, uh, you'll appreciate this one where the gaming world is such a huge sporting thing now where there's a lot of sports teams that own uh, gaming teams. And so it was, hey, pick what uh, you want to study and write your assignment and tell us about it. And I'm, I'm, I don't know too much about the gaming world, but hey, I like Street Fighter like everybody else in the martial arts world. So I looked up the Street Fighter Five World Championships at the time. And uh, man, it was amazing to see the five and a half million dollar prize money and uh, just all the sponsorships and bonuses of that. But that's what I really enjoyed about uh, my time at Columbia. Like I said, just one semester online doing a certificate, but it's a kind of a weird random fact of something that I've done on the side notes of everything else. All right. So what's the name of your book that's going to be coming out? So the book is titled Life as an Art. Paint your picture with your passion. Okay. Yeah. So do you have a set date for when that comes out? Um, we were going uh, originally to, it's pre-launched, first of all, so you can go to uh, coachjeremyelliot.com to pre-order, and it's also available on Amazon now. Um, there's a Bill Superfoot Wallace Awards uh, event in Las Vegas in July, and so the mm-hmm. original goal was to have it launch there and then. Um but however, being a white belt as an author and just learning how to write, I didn't realize how much uh, was needed to write. And so I kind of didn't, uh, I, I wrote as much as I thought was needed, but then found out that, uh, you know, you can just go and tell these stories and explain these stories. And so um, I've been just doing a lot more writing in uh, trying to you know, make this book as great as I possibly can be uh, in telling my life story. And the, in fact, you know, the picture that I've painted with my passion for everything that I do. So um, I'm not 100% about the July in Las Vegas launch, but uh, it won't be too far after that, though. So this summer, for sure. Uh, Speaking of, um, uh, do you know what um, week of Las Vegas uh, that was going to be in July? Um, off the top of my head, I want to say somewhere around that 15th mark, 15th of July. Oh, because uh, I'll be in Vegas um, in the 4th of July week. So from oh, the 4th yeah. to 11th. So probably by the time that gets there, I'd be gone. I'd be gone home. So, yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like, yeah, I think it's mid-July that they're having this big uh, event to tribute uh, Superfoot there. Oh, okay. Awesome. All right. So, so this is what we're going to do with this podcast. Um, you're going to bring us back in time. So before all this happened for you, um, and of course I'm going to ask questions of like your past, uh, like how things were for you. So the first question would be before martial arts enter your life, how can you describe yourself? <laughs> um, it's so funny cause I've been a martial artist for so long, but, uh, my original upbringing is, um, uh, I am born to a single mom. Uh, Her story is wonderful. She was the greatest lady. Uh, She suffered from bipolar her whole life. And uh, the story of her finding out that she was pregnant with me is very powerful where she was in the mental ward of the hospital. And uh, prior to that, she was drinking a bottle of liquor a day, basically, um, 
leading up to that moment and then sitting in that hospital, you know, they had come to her and said, Hey, um, yeah, you're pregnant. And, uh, it was at that moment that she, uh, decided that her passion was going to be raising me and she quit drinking and she tried to become the best mom she could to provide the life for me that she didn't have herself. And so we grew up here in Niagara Falls, uh, the Niagara East housing projects is the official name, but it's not the, uh, it's not the projects type of, uh, what you would think of when you think projects, you know, it was welfare housing, not, uh, the actual project. So it was uh, welfare housing. So we grew up in a pretty nice house. She made it as uh, good as she possibly could with the yards and the flowers. And she always loved, uh, gardening and tanning out back and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. So prior to the martial arts, um, that's it. You know, I know, I have no idea who my father is, but I was raised by an amazing woman who, uh, you know, wanted to make sure I had the best life possible. Yeah. I pretty much can relate to that. I was, um, pretty much raised. Um, I know I pretty much had my father around most of the time. And, you know, of course my mom had to raise me by myself, you know, and also my siblings, you know, I mean, I was like the, let's just say the runt of the litter. Cause you know, I was like the last child, but nevertheless, you know, like, I can relate to what you're saying that, you know, you got your mom trying to provide everything that she never had when um, she was um, in her youth, but nevertheless, uh, you know, same thing. I'm trying to give back to her with no other than like trying to um, do things for myself, trying to provide, I'm like trying to give things back to her. And, you know, that's almost like a thank you for dealing with me when I was a little, you know, I had to deal with uh, ADHD and uh, yeah, that's the thing, you know, I try to overcome that. And it's, and it's a great thing that I got into martial arts and that kind of helped me build me into the individual I am now and try to become at least better than like what I, what other people would be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fantastic, TJ. And you know what? It's uh, uh I'm sure we'll get into this a little later as you've uh, met my godson at pro wrestling events who has FASD and we're trying to do a lot for uh, kids and families that are on the spectrum um, but I always relate it back to like, my book is dedicated to both my mom and my godson, William. Um, but like, I think I'm at the point in my life where watching her suffer with bipolar, watching him suffer with the FASD, um, my mom has passed on now. She passed in uh, 2008 and, uh, but here I am and just trying to spread the words that she gave to me and try to inspire kids as, as many places I possibly can, which is why I always want to, you know, be educating myself and learning as many different things as possible so I can find myself in these avenues to give back to as many kids as I possibly can. Yeah. I mean, that's the way to go. That's the way to do it. Really just save as many kids as you can. Yes, I mean, sir. Yes, sir. Right. Okay. Let's get like, what was that one event that got you like interested in martial arts? What's the one thing that you see like a movie or actually yeah. an event like, yeah, I'm not, uh, it's not too creative. It's a lot of stories start like this. Uh, I was here in the falls on uh, Queen Street. We had the Seneca Theater uh, downtown on Queen Street. And I found myself in that theater uh, one evening with my mom and we're watching the Karate Kid one uh, back in the 80s. And uh, hey, the moment I saw Daniel's son, he, he raised up that trophy and I looked at my mom and I said, that's what I want to do. And uh, that was the beginning of this. And uh, the competitive journey is just, <laughs> like I said, the 80s was a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. 
Yeah, amazing. That's like almost like that Rocky story, you know. Definitely, people what would watch Rocky says, "Um, that's why I want to be. I want rock be Rocky Balboa and run those steps." Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So you say that probably was like the push, the envy that got you started. It's like right away. That was it. I um after that um we were kind of lucky where my grandparents' house was behind um an actual academy, and uh, so. Uh, September 1985 uh, we we walked in we got a uniform and the next day I was on the mats and uh, that was it and I I still have that uniform to this day it's a triple zero and uh, I've been on the mats almost every day it seems since then and uh, it's been a great experience yeah that's same same thing for me you know I grew up like watching like of course Cry Kid and then other things like mostly cartoons you know like me and my sister I feel like we're two peas in the pot because we spend most of the time in front of TV you know everything that she watches I pretty much um, can remember like everything that she listened to then I can remember it's like mostly the things that got well, mostly Karate Kid and then you got other uh, movies uh like what was it uh well, mostly the oh yeah, Last Dragon. That was a movie. Yeah, okay. and of course there, that was like my push. I mean, I want to do martial arts. You know, I try to like just try to imitate everything in martial arts. But you know, well, I'm yeah. sure you're you're younger than I am, uh, sir. So I understand though. You're probably you know you probably saw a lot of the great times of Mortal Kombat and the even the Ninja Turtles, right? The Ninja Turtles was a great time. You know, whether it be the cartoon or the movies. Like there's been so much in the martial arts industry. Um, and then what's really good about it. Like I know what I found with me. Um, I'm a huge fan of all these like movies that came along, but I actually found myself going back into the old days and I'm a huge fan of like the cheesy seventies and early eighties Kung Fu movies. Yeah. Like, nothing beats some uh, ridiculous 1982 Kung Fu movies that they would be, uh, heading uh in downtown manhattan in new york city on the 35th street i believe that theater it played three kung fu movies a day people would go down there and watch it you know um so yeah that's the best part about martial arts is you can be inspired through so many different avenues you know and uh doesn't matter what your age is you can relate to you know any of those uh whether it be a 90s mortal Kombat or a 70s bruce lee yeah, definitely. No, just talking about this, just um, it makes me want to actually watch the movies, like mostly <laughs> Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's really funny. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, so you know, Riza from the Wu Tang Clan, he is so into these kung fu movies. I love when he had um, I forget the name of the studios. I want to say it was it was right like the album, like Thirty Six Studios or Thirty Six Chamber Studios, and they play. Uh, afternoon kung fu movie and uh, Riza he commentates along with the movie and gives all kinds of wicked facts and stuff like that so yeah it's really good to even uh, catch back up on some of those old classics yeah amazing can, can you give us like a memory of like your first lesson here you are you're starting off as a white belt and uh, you're yeah you started off in 1985 so of course you said September 1980 oh I wasn't born yet I was born like two months <laughs> I, bo- I was born in two months uh and oh. that's, a, that's a fun fact. I was born um, when the Junkyard Dog beat Macho Man in a tournament. Uh, oh, the yeah. classic. Yeah, that one. First, first pay-per-view, man. That was, uh, yeah, that's so, uh, now you're making me really feel old, though. <laughs> yeah, that that was my memory. I didn't know about it until, like, I like, got a DVD of um, yeah. the greatest 80 matches, and then I saw a match with him 
um, my, um, Junkyard Dog versus Macho Man and like some tournament. And then it's like, it was November 7th, 1985. That's like, I was born on that day. I was born when the Junkyard Dog won that tournament. That That's was a, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So my first memory, uh, so I was seven. So there's not actually a huge, you know, from that opening day, but I do remember this. So I remember, uh, like, as I said, my grandma's house was behind the Academy. So I walked over in my gi, uh, did my thing. And when I got back, you know, uh, one, one of the, like, they were like, Hey, what did you learn? And I just clearly remember, uh, lying down on the floor and showing, um, I don't know if you know, like the starfish, uh, for your abdominals where you lift up your legs, you lift up your arms and you hold your head up yep. and you're, just, you know, squeezing those, uh, that core and stuff. For some reason that really stuck with me. So when my mom and grandma asked me, you know, Hey, what did you do? I lied on the floor and did that. And they're like, um, Okay. <laughs> it wasn't anything martial arts, but I just thought that was a cool exercise. And uh, it's funny because it goes along as my life. Uh, I've also been huge into the weightlifting and strength training. So maybe that's why that stuck out to me back then. But that's what I showed my mom and grandma for my first day. <laughs> yeah. You know, they always got to at least be, that's the thing about parents. You know, you have to have them be interested in what you're doing in the martial arts. You know, definitely my mom has to, be interested i mean i was grateful that she was there for my first black belt test yeah and, uh, and definitely i want her to be there when i actually get my my black jack and my master rank so well, that's yeah, it, but, yeah. Yeah. yeah my mom was super supportive um she was always there although i would almost say a little bit different for for her so uh obviously we grew up so dirt poor um, it was enough just to afford the lessons, right? But when it came to things like, um, obviously, as I just said, watching Daniel win that trophy, I wanted to compete. So at Yellow Belt, I was trying to get out there and compete. But, you know, how do you get out and compete if you got no money? But my mom would always try to, you know, she would actually go into the dojo and uh, she would clean the academy to make some extra money. Um, and then just anybody sometimes going to these events, I clearly just remember like she couldn't go. She would always want to go, but you know, not affording it. Plus, you know what, uh, whatever car throw Jeremy in the back and just, I don't care if it's a, if it's an overnight trip at a hotel, you know, sleep on the floor and, you know, whatever, you know, sometimes she would throw in like, and as I got older, you know, there'd be times where she would just pack protein bars in my bag. And boom, like I said, I'd be sleeping at the, uh, you know, the front door of the hotel on the floor. And, but I got the chance to compete. So, you know, she was always so supportive of that. Like she made sure I had everything, you know, if there was a, the, the cool new black uniform, somehow she found a way to make sure that that was under the Christmas tree. And those are always going to be memories for me that, uh, you know, no matter what, we didn't have a lot, but she made sure I had everything I needed. Yeah, that's like that envy is like when you're a kid, you need to have everything that you see that's interesting. That's how I was, you know, you got all these kids that had the cool stuff, you know, I wanted to have that cool stuff. But, you know, your mom says you can't afford it, you know, yeah. and that's the thing I always got mad about because I couldn't get the things that I really wanted. But, you know, the thing is said the experience is what you'll get when you don't get what you want. Yeah, yeah. and it leads to just the stories like, you know, I, I can attest uh, because especially with writing this book and uh all of this telling my story being a keynote speaker and stuff for uh, an upcoming gala just going over all these stories is so you know amazing like so I think of a trip we took back uh down to Canton Ohio and and we never had a car growing up we couldn't afford a car so I was always either riding a bike to the academy or you know walking down to the bus stop taking a bus stop 
uh, bus uh, down to the academy. But um, when I was 16, we kind of got a, a car together almost, but it was like this old 1983 Ford Mustang, no AC, no nothing. And I remember it was August and we drove it down to Canton, Ohio for an event. And uh, like I said, the event, you know, it, it is what it is, but the memory is, uh, man, me and my mom hopped in that silly car uh, and went down there. And we, you know, that's a memory that I'll always remember. And I can share on things like this uh, 100th episode of your podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So definitely your mindset after that first class is like, you know, this is an interesting martial arts. You know, I, I could actually go actually compete see so when you were um actually competing where your mindset was like you want to be a world champion or it was just like i want to get a feel for this and see where this can take me and no i went head in i was uh oh man it just the, the normal steps i was a white belt i stepped on the floor okay i need to be a yellow belt uh then I needed to compete. Yeah. Okay. Now I need to go get that trophy. Okay. Now I need to go get another trophy. Uh, yeah. I need to be a black belt. I need to be a world champion. Um, I need to be sensei. Like it just, yeah. Goal after goal, uh, accomplishment after accomplishment. It just kept, uh, it kept growing. And it's so funny that as I, as you check marking things, um, things that I didn't even dream of that would be accomplished. Um, I've been able to like, after I won my last world championship, um, I was inducted into the sport karate museum down in Houston, Texas. And I got to go down there and perform. And uh, the actual, my uniform and stuff is autographed and hanging up down there. And so like, here, here here's a guy from the Niagara East housing projects in Niagara Falls, you know, poor single mom on welfare. And, and man, but my uniform is now hanging up in a museum beside the likes of Bruce Lee and stuff like that. There's a Bruce Lee uniform, you know, the Jeremy Elliott uniform. Like, wow. Like things like that blow my mind sometimes when I think back, like, you know, we take them for granted. I almost think that we've done so much in our lives, but uh, you know, as, as we reflect and uh, tell those stories, they're actually really, really big, amazing moments. Yeah. That's what, um, yeah. Speak. Yeah. Speaking of favorite moments. Yeah. You know, you know, you've been in the martial arts so many times, you know, you, yeah, you live in a project. Like for me, I've always lived in like, in we call it Unity Park, but yeah, it's almost like the projects, you know, I went from there and then from now and like the convention I go to, the UFAP conventions, like I go in there for like, I, this will be my 12th time going. And, you know, we also has these special awards, um, you know, most inspirational school of the year, instructor of the year. So for me, I was um, nominated for, um, most inspirational like last year and this year i'm nominated again so that was like i'm hoping that if i get the award that'd be something but if i don't yeah yeah if i don't i mean i'm still inspirational no you know you that's the thing you got people out there that actually really look look at look after you or like they discover you and they um they how would you say like you they i I would just say you know it's funny because like even though we probably know deep down in our hearts we're doing our best and we're doing the right thing. We're changing people's lives and we're making a difference. But however, it's just, it's just sometimes really funny to have, you know, our peers or other people in the community or, you know, even outside the community. Cause like, you know, so something that I think I've tried to really do is like, you know, we're, we're only doing so much in our four walls. There's only so many lives we can affect inside of our four walls that are our dojos, but you know, how much, farther can we get out there so you going to an event in las vegas with a whole organization and being nominated as the most inspirational 
well, man, that's going to reflect, you know, coming back home, people in your community, and hopefully you get that into, you know, some newspaper coverage or whatever you can. So that way, uh, not just your people see it, but the people who were in your neighborhood that watched you grow up, um, you know, kids who are just like you and I, when, you know, we were growing up, they can, oh man, you know what, that dude made it, I can make it too. And that's when it's going to come, you know, for the most uh, important part of what we do. Yeah, that's like that pusher envy. It's like you see that person being progressive. It's like you want to be like this person, but you want to be your own version of that person. Oh, yeah. But you know what? And sometimes it takes the challenge of, you know, we don't believe in ourselves sometimes, but we need other like-minded people that we can see to, oh, so if we physically see it, okay, now I can believe it, that I can go do it. And like for me and you doing something like this, we're just getting around more like-minded people that we get this energy, right? All of a sudden now we're talking and, you know, our blood's going to be pumping. And then all of a sudden we're going to go want to wake up tomorrow morning and, hey, change the world still because we had this conversation. Ah, amazing. All right. So can you describe your first black belt test? Ooh, uh, well, so uh, starting in the, the mid 80s, uh, there was definitely still kind of that old school feel to testing. So I had a very, very uh, rough testing, um, but very quality. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they were mean to me and beat me. And no, they just pushed me to my limit to make sure that I continue to push through and really wanted that belt and did it upright. Um, and and a, a great story I feel for my black belt actually was I was so young, you know, I was only 10 years old. So even back then there was no such thing really as that junior black belt at the time, like little bits, I'm sure in some places, but around here, like, and there is a very high conversation. You can't give a 10 year old a black belt. Right. So I can remember being a blue belt and trying to test for a Brown belt. And my instructor, he was like, yeah, you pass. Um, but I'm not going to give you the belt. You're just too young. And I'm like, okay, well, we, you know, you couldn't have told me that before I did the test, but, but he did, he gave me, uh, like brown duct tape and this would be what my first ever stripe would have been. So I had this old rickety blue belt that I'd been wearing for at least, uh, you know, a year plus. And he, he, he strapped some brown tape on it to say, okay, listen, like he's passed a brown belt test, but he's just too young. And uh, that led into a junior black belt test where I, I was the first one in the academy uh, with, with others, of course, to do this junior black belt. And uh, same thing, super funny, junior black belts, you know, you can buy through Century and on Amazon or whatever now. But uh, back then, uh, I can remember one of the, uh, the mothers of the academy uh, buying a bunch of brown belts and then just sewing black material. So the belt was half brown, half black. You know, and that was my actual junior black belt, which is a really cool thing to say. So I have great, you know, great uh, memories of testing and being able to push through. Like, I think that's something that we always need to continue teaching this generation is it's okay for things to suck and things for, you know, to be hard. You got to push through it, right? There's a lot of things that suck in our heart in life. And so if you can learn it um, on the mats, like I always like to say, you know, hey, dojo hard, life easy. And that's where you want the dojo to be the hard part. So that way, you you know, you go into life and you can, uh, you can handle what's going to throw at you. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, really, you know, um, of course, um, you heard the, the term McDojo. You know, you know, I don't feel like you shouldn't hand people belts because uh, you want to, like, make people feel good. But, you know, it's like I said, you want to make things attainable. 
I mean, to people, but you want them to work hard for it. You want them to break a sweat. You want them to almost toss their grits or yeah, throw up, or you want them to somewhat um, get pain in their pain in their body. So that's pretty much what a black belt test should be. It's like, like for our black belt tests, our style, we, let's just say we don't change things. We kind of evolve, evolve like what we need to do for a black belt test. We want, we want um, the people going for a black belt test to be tired. We want them to know that you're going to be tired if you're defending yourself, but what's your main goal? What's your main purpose of getting through this black belt test? Um, you want to survive. So yes. if you're, yeah, you're tired, you got um, pain in your stomach, you're ready to throw up, you know, you, you're, you got to think of um, one thing you want to go home. You don't want to be the person that um, is defeated because of you're, you're, you're like, you're drained. That's pretty much how you could put it. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. You know, like I always tell them, like, of course, you know, if you're uh, free rolling, wrestling, grappling with some of the black belts that are at the test, I don't expect you to beat them. You're not going to win, but you have to survive. You have to be standing at the end of this thing. The easiest thing in the world to do is quit, you know? So if that's what you want to do, okay, then you don't really want to be a black belt. And that's something we want to get to because like, like you said, uh, hey, they want to be proud. This needs to be one of the most proud, proudest moments of their life when they get that black belt that they truly, really earned it. And once again, something that's going to, you know, continue into their life. Things just don't come easy. You just don't get handed things. You got to work and go get it. But then when you accomplish that, you feel so good about yourself and it empowers you to go get something else and go get that next goal, whatever it may be. Yeah, it's like really... If you're going for a next black belt, you know it's going to be harder than the first one, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. And then it gets to the point where, you know, you're at the top top belt or top black belt, you know, you know it's going to get harder. You know, you got to push yourself beyond the, your limits. Well, yeah. yeah, and there's so many different avenues too. Like, so I, I tell these kids a lot of times, like, you know, from, uh, you know, all the color belt system, white to red or whatever belt system you're using. That's like your elementary school. Then once you get that, you know, black belt, now you're entering high school and now that now it's a different world, right? But you're now you're starting to set up for where you want to go. Um, and so in our world, like, hey, who knows? Now you're a black belt. Do you want to be the next world champion? You could go that way. Or, you know, you've been around here. You've seen what martial arts has done for you. Now, hey, you're going to go this way. You're going to join our leadership team and you're going to help you know, teach the next generation and show them what you did and what it's done for you. So um, the black belt is just the beginning. And, uh, you know, once you're done that, hey, the world, the sky's the limit, as they say, right? Uh, definitely. Hey. All right. So I, I think I remember seeing you in like a, one of the um, the ex- expos or conventions. Uh, it was um, Kumite Classics. Oh, I, think, yeah. I think you did something on the stage. I mean, it was just like back in... Um, Moreauville and Pittsburgh, I yeah. think. Yeah, so. Uh, oh, yeah. Billy, Billy Viola's tournaments. Oh, man. So I, I grew up, Billy was around as a junior black belt way back in the day. Um, I used to go down before the Kumite Classic was even a thing. I want to say it was uh, New Kensington, Pennsylvania, or something like that. And it was a PKRA events and PKC events, right, back then, too. Yeah. Um, and the Violas always had a really big competitive uh, team. So, yeah, uh, when they joined the NBL and their tournament became a big uh, national thing, I think we went there actually a couple of years as just a regional. And so my my thing with Billy goes back because Billy's uh, such an awesome-minded person where he wants the martial arts to grow, and he wanted it from a very beginning 
time. So when he was doing that regional event, uh, we went down and same thing, we performed. So he had a boxing ring set up for like, as the tournament's going around, he had extra fights, like, cause he's always included other things, just like that big convention, uh, which I'll get to in a minute, but, uh, you know, same thing. He's going to have some kickboxing matches, some boxing matches in this ring. But at one point, so he had me come out and do one of our self-defense demonstrations. But now this, of course, Hey, we're in a ring. I know it's a boxing ring, but of course the pro wrestling kicks in too. And this finished off with whoever was doing the routine with me, man, tossed me over the top rope. I went hit the, hit the floor and uh, the crowd went crazy and it was a great time. And so, yeah, often Billy would invite us back just to hop on that stage and do a demo. Um, so whether we were actually competing or doing demonstrations, um, we always wanted to be a part of that, uh, that huge event, because like I said, they had bodybuilding competitions and, uh, the Mr. Universe bikini contest, uh, strongman, gi, no gi, um, you name it, they had it, MMA, and it was awesome. Even like the Hollywood things, they had like a America's Got Talent thing down there the one year. Yeah. So it, it was always great. So yeah, uh, and I know the uh, the Chuck Norris squad that you guys had as a team, you guys ventured down to Pittsburgh quite often for that event. So we mm -hmm. always used to see you guys down there. So yeah, great memories. You know, I went there every single year, I think until maybe 2015 or 2016 was the last year, but I probably went for a good uh, every year for about 13 years or so probably with uh you know billy and it's even in fact uh kind of how i got back into pro wrestling because the one year of course uh um i got to talk with uh kurt angle uh because he was always there every year and uh we were just backstage one day and uh billy said hey i got somebody i want you to meet and it was kurt and we started talking and uh yeah next thing i knew too i was back into the pro wrestling world too so yeah, uh, Pittsburgh Kumite Classic, uh, one of the best tournaments of all time, for sure. Yeah, yeah I remember uh, meeting Kurt Angle in, like, 2013. He was, like, he had a table set up. And, yeah, and it's it's very it was wonderful that he only um, charged $2 to take a picture with him. So I was lucky I had the $2. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it's like... He, he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. So um, I uh, met him that first time i would say this would have been oh my god back in 2005 at the time i think but um sure enough by the time of the end of our 15 minute conversation he handed me uh the business card of his agent said call this guy on monday and um that's uh dave hawk is his agent and uh man i kept in contact with him for so many years and talked to him and they they were very uh into that kumite classic so much because uh, Dave's a former bodybuilder. He won many uh, competitions back in the day. His son's a bodybuilder. And so they were always at those booths, whether they had like a muscle farmer, the MHP, I forget the name of that company. Um, they always had a lot of different uh, fitness booths in that weekend. So all tied together, which was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I remember competing there like 2012 and 2013. So, I mean, I think I got like one plaque from that um that competition. So, I think that's from when I competed in um open um open kata or um open um like uh I was doing like um like tricking or what how would you say like open kata like yeah creative, creative. creative yeah form. creative yeah 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 creative form. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, we tried to do a little bit of everything because we would obviously all of my teams that I could bring down, you know, they're competing in all the different, you know, kata weapons and sparring. But um, of course, for me, whoever I would bring down, we would compete in the traditional self-defense or the, the choreographed fights, which we had a lot of fun with down there because, 
you know, that, that was always, you know, you can get the music and the themes and the, uh, uh, costumes going on. I can remember performing, uh, many memorable performances down there. I know we did a three stooges once. Um, <laughs> I, I performed a mime. I actually one time did a choreographed fight by myself where I dressed up as a mime with cue cards and everything. I fought out of a box. Um, I beat up invisible people. I, 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 I took a beating. Um, so yeah, we had quite a few really memorable uh, performances at uh, at the Kumite Classic. Uh, yeah, I would probably like to see the Three Stooges one. Um, yeah, I'm. I love. Uh, it was great, full of uh, anything you can name it. The eye poke, uh, whoopee cushion. Um, <laughs> I can even remember ascending. I took a chair from one of the scorekeepers to ascend up to the chair because I was going to do a frog splash onto my. Uh, partner i don't know whether it was curly larry or mo i can't remember which one i was but um i was chanting to the crowd and you know doing my uh, celebration that i was about to you know splash this person and then i turned around and uh they were no longer there and it was just a trash can and i five-star frog splashed this trash can um <laughs> which like even that saying that as it is that never happened in the martial arts and i was uh I'm very excited that I brought that to it because it always entertained people. People used to always come around the ringside to watch us perform. You know, my only uh, maybe negatives back then was uh, how many ballroom floors uh, I performed on because until I think about 2008, uh, before then there was never mats and it was just hotel concrete ballroom. Uh, yeah. you know, a, lot of, a lot of bumping on just a little bit of under padding and it was never that great but it's okay like i said it was well worth the entertainment yeah uh, kind of, let's kind of get into your like um pro wrestling background because uh sure. i mean when when what was your when you first started um doing pro wrestling so um it's a fusion um let me actually take you back uh, a little bit um growing up i mentioned my mom and my grandma um, they were both wrestling fans. Um, and uh, my mom actually had some stories uh, back in the day. Uh, there was a place here called the Klondike. And Sweet Daddy Siki used to sing karaoke here. And uh, I even still have some autographs from him uh, to my mom and my grandma about, oh, I can't wait to come down and eat grandma's collard greens and stuff like that. And uh, it, it was absolutely awesome. And so I would be at grandma's on a Saturday and watching Saturday morning wrestling and stuff. So I, from a very early, you know, stages of my life on top of the martial arts, I definitely had a love for pro wrestling. And I think it was almost kind of why I liked martial arts to begin with, where it was like, you know, you're, you're fusing these amazing things of entertaining people as well as, you know, it, it is a, it's a competition. You can win something for being this entertaining. So I was like, Oh, this is sweet. Um, but where it actually came in was um, 2001, I was sitting at the famous Polish Hall here in Niagara Falls watching uh, an indie show. And Ontario has a very big history with Ontario indies. And uh, specifically at that early 2000s, it was hot here. It was big. And so um, at this indie show, they they had an ad, you know, on the microphone. Somebody announced, hey, you want to be a pro wrestler? You know, give this number a call. And, uh, so I did, and, um, it was, it was really weird because I was as much as I wanted to wrestle and as much as I like pro wrestling, it was actually originally signing up so I could help my martial arts career. So 1999, I uh, was undefeated for the entire NBL season, had super grands, 
got here, my hometown, Niagara Falls, on Clifton Hill. My grandma's there. My mom's there. My best friend, Chad's there. All my people are there. 600 people uh, in the audience. We brought in 100 extra chairs, and I lost. (laughs) So I was like, ugh. And then 2001, I was going back. But this time, I was flying all the way to Hollywood, and we had a really great routine planned. It was one of the choreographed fights, so it was more of a – a street fight, you know, and, uh, it was going to be wild, but I thought, okay, if I can learn some pro wrestling before I do this world title, I already know how to bump. Like I already know how to fall and protect myself and do all this, but I need those, you know, money-making facial expressions. Uh, I need that timing, the, you know, just that once again, how can I reach this audience more at this time in my life? I understand that pro wrestling needs to connect with the audience. And so that's what I got to do. You know, I've always been about connecting with the audience. Like I know, I understand. I got to really impress the five people that are about to give me those scores. Like I got to connect with them the most, but sometimes that doesn't always happen. As you know, we don't always get the nod. We don't get the victories all the time, but I got to connect. I want to connect with the people. So when I leave, they remember my performance. Um, So, but that's why I joined the uh, Neo Dojo here and uh, started training. And uh, unfortunately I went into Hollywood in 20, uh, oh one and I uh, still lost that uh, world title performance <laughs> but um but that's where my pro wrestling journey began yeah I think I remember like uh you said you w- I never knew went to an indie show until like around uh 2011 I mean I never knew about indie wrestling until like my friend that was uh like training the wrestling told me about um this local indie show uh of course Empire State Wrestling I mean, yeah, I went there. I think like one of the guests was um one of the Highlanders from um WWE. Like one of them, they was um I think there was either taking pictures or performing, and it's like, it's like, it went from like be from seeing like the big WWE ring to like a small ring. I was like looking at it, it's like it's extremely small. It's like it's not like a WWE ring, but yeah, but. indie wrestling's great, isn't it? Because you have such an intimate feel. Uh, I think that's one thing, like, obviously everybody dreams about performing in front of a packed stadium or something like that, 30,000 fans or even whatever, MSG, Madison Square Garden show with 16,000 or something. But, you know, everything, you know, whether it be martial arts, uh, MMA, pro wrestling, it starts grassroots, local, and uh, but there's nothing like it because those are the kids who, you know, they're they're coming up to you at intermission and, you know, they can act, you can actually touch the wrestlers. You can take pictures with the wrestlers. You can get that autograph and it's so personal and interactive. It, it, it's great. It's, it's so funny because I did a show last night and I've never had this. So I, I lost my match last night, but um, I was cheated. The, the person had their feet on the ropes, but the referee didn't catch it, you know, unfortunately. Um, but I had somebody who was in the crowd front row walk around the ring and go over to the ref and he was legit pleading my case like he was a lawyer or coach or somebody he wanted instant replay he's telling the ref about his the feet on the ropes and he's he's trying to get this uh, verdict changed and uh like i said that's what's really special about indie wrestling is that it's intimate and like you get those kids right I- i'm a big fan of watching those kids they're they're starstruck right because they don't they don't necessarily know the difference between a you know, different guys. This this is a pro wrestler and this is a pro wrestling ring. And when they can start touching the ring and they can, they can hear that, the bump, they can, the, the ropes, man, it's, it's awesome. 
Yeah, amazing. Like I can relate how you um try to incorporate wrestling into martial arts. So that's pretty much what I did when um of course uh this was like before I kind of got started with um Jesse, um Scott and um Neo. You know, I said um if I passed my third degree tests, I was gonna start uh pro wrestling career. So of course, in that case, I didn't pass the um the black the third degree black belt pretest. You know, you have the pretest before you actually do the test. And you know, from there I was kind of devastated because I want to at least get that third degree. But yeah. but nevertheless, I kind of uh, went to do pro wrestling to kind of um boost my confidence to go back and get that third degree. So yeah, you know, of course I went through that training um from uh when I started at um November 13th of 2013. Yeah, I remember that date because that was like the eighth anniversary of um Eddie Guerrero's death. Yeah, okay. I can remember that. Yeah. And of course, yeah, I was it's like interesting how you can merge these worlds. I, I'm a huge fan of it. Like ever since I've started it, um, I'm looking at times when I won world titles and I'm watching the performances. And, you know, I I incorporated like a really big stalling vertical suplex. And uh, we even had an Indian death walk in there. And so like these are things that like the martial arts world doesn't know, you know, but it looks great in these self-defense performances. But then even in the same token, I'm taking the same things to pro wrestling and like things that I'm teaching my kids here it's the same thing that I'm going to do in a wrestling ring. And, you know, sometimes wrestlers are like, man, what is that? Like where, and it's just an arm bar. It's a, it's, you know, a, a flying triangle choke or something like that. And uh, I think it's great because to me, it's all grappling. It stems from the same, right? If you look at the history of all of this, man, uh, 1870, they're doing catch wrestling in England and uh, they're performing in the circuses and the carnivals at the athletic tents, right? Yeah. The athletic tents were so huge all over the world. And you even got people like Maeda, who was a judo guy. He was performing in America, Cuba. He was doing shows in Havana, sometimes two shows a day in Havana. And then to, to make the connection, Carlos Gracie, he was young, 14, 15-year-old boy, his father owned the American Carnival of Balim, which was in Brazil, Balim, Brazil. And so Carlos's dad owned the American circus there. Yep. So here's Maeda, the judo guy, performing in, are they shoots? Are they work? Nobody knows at this time. Nobody knows every match or what it is. They, they didn't. Since the late 1800s, they don't always know whether it's a work or a shoot. And so here's young Carlos just thinking, hey, I want to do that. And now here we are. And like, I know my professor, uh, Carlos Cantania, is lineage is under Carlos Gracie. And here it is. This guy saw what we're doing now in a circus at a performance tent. You know, so is this all pro wrestling? Is it actual Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Is it Martin? What is it? It's all the same. It's grappling. It's, it's you know it all compares. And I, I love that aspect. That's, that's the one thing that I love about teaching, whether I'm calling it catch as catch can or Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's grappling. It's martial arts. It's great. Yeah, definitely. But you mentioned um, like um, uh, the Machados or the Gracies and the, of course, Gene LaBelle, he's probably known from training a lot of um, pro wrestlers. Like, you know, you have Ronda Rousey, Roddy Piper and all those uh, other wrestlers. Gene LaBelle's yeah. got amazing stories. So one of the best things so I was talking about my uh, sport karate museum uh, trip. So by donating some of my own items into the museum, uh, 
the owner of the museum let me pick a couple of things to take home. And uh, so sitting uh, on my uh, desk with some of my awards is two patches and they're both judo Jean LaBelle patches. Um, but from his stuntman work, like, yeah, here's a guy, he was a stuntman. He was, to me, he's the ultimate Uki. Like I always like to think I, I became one of the best Ukis of all time for our sport, but like, you know, judo Jean LaBelle, my God, he was a, uh, a stuntman in the Bruce Lee days. Think his mom in California, she had a gym where Andre the Giant was and Muhammad Ali was. So this is an actual guy who has boxed Muhammad Ali and wrestled Andre the Giant. How many humans in our world can say that? That's a phenomenal, uh, you know, couple sentences right there. Mm, yeah. I mean, I mean, I heard stories about Gene LaBelle, like, um, of course, um, I think he'd been to like uh, one of our conventions and uh, he's like, he, everybody was like, had a line to get choked out by him. It's like, uh, they, yeah, because I heard stories of um, he, um, he's famous of um, choking people out. Yeah. That's his saying. So he used to always wear the pink gi, if you know his competitive career. Before he was an NWA champion, he was a... Uh, uh, a judo uh, champion. And so, but he used to wear a pinky, which was unheard of back in the whatever fifties and sixties when he was competing. Um, but he was just doing it. He'd wear that pinky just so people would kind of be like, what, you know, make fun of him. But uh, one of his patches uh, was when in doubt, choke him out. That was, that was okay. his uh, famous patch on that key. When in doubt, choke him out. And uh, yeah, he's got some great stuff. Actually, you mentioned the name Guerrero. Um, I have a book uh, of him in Mondo and it's just pro wrestling finishing holds, but it's him putting the martial arts spin into it. And I think there's even, you know, video, uh, what are, whatever they would be now, but back then, you know, VHS tapes of him just torturing Mondo Guerrero through hour after hour of these uh, painful submission holds. Yeah. that sound, almost sounds like the, like the Hart family dungeon. Yeah. yeah. Cause I know, well, of course, um, Stu Hart was known for the, um, being like uh, the shooter and yeah, doing yeah, like the he, submission. He, he yeah, stretch one or two people in his lifetime, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's kind of get to your book. You say you're, um, of course, you wrote a book, and uh, and uh, this is like your inspiration. So pretty much everything you did was like your inspiration to actually write a book. And yeah. So what would say like what was your first idea to like like create the book? Like so, it came to me. Um, I've always thought about actually writing. I love reading books myself and I love storytelling. Um, I've always been a big talker and, you know, so I used to joke back in the day, I thought we should just write a, you know, uh, a road diaries journal or something, you know, some sort of a book from the road, you know, from everything that we've seen and all the adventures that we've had, you know, and, uh, but in, uh, the summer last year, I got included. So the Sport Karate Museum had um, a history book come out. And so they featured me in that book. Uh, so um, the Book of Legends is what it was called. The Sport Karate Museum history book, Book of Legends. And so I got a, a great page uh, right up in that. I even, they, they, they sent me a ring and certificate for being in it. And it was just an awesome thing. But th at that point I wrote my, my little quick biography. Like they asked me some questions. I think it was five or six questions and I answered them and that was what's on those pages. Um, but one of the guys who was, uh, involved in that, uh, he, he, uh, 
runs elite publications. He, he just called me up one day and he said, Hey, listen, you know, we just, you know, got done this, this history book. And uh, it seems like you have a really great story. And he just, you know, one day we talked and I just told him, you know, similar things that I'm saying right now on this podcast. And uh, he's like, you know, that would make a great book. Like, why don't we think about writing a book? And I was like, man, if you can help me, because same thing I said, I'm a white, but I know nothing about that. Like, I can tell you my story. I can take a pen to paper and write all this out. But, you know, you guys got to do that work of uh, making it happen, like making the book. And they've done a lot of great things. Like I said, we have the website ready. We have, we have the pre-sales going and all of that, um, the pre-order. But uh, the original the original thing just happened late last year towards the end of uh, 2021. And it was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. Yeah, I mean, that was like my thought, uh, actually. You know, you know, of course, you're writing a book, and uh, I've um, interviewed another um, guest that um, he's also just um, released a book, uh, Becoming Bullyproof. Uh, yeah, so... He, that kind of almost make me inspirational to actually write a book. You know, I know I always like to write um, stuff down, especially with this podcast, doing research of different styles of martial arts. And of course, incorporated in my uh, martial arts style and like, at least see, see how I can compare like even like one style to my style and um, actually see kind of, that's why it was great to go to the, um, the, um, the competitions like Smack Internationals and um, Kumite classes. I actually watch people do their kata and they say that's similar to the kata that I know, but it's different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I love about sport karate itself, too. Like, I was never uh, a huge fan of uh, like just the maybe the traditional events where this is only Taekwondo people allowed, this is only Goju people allowed, uh, you know, things like Smack and Kumite, you know it's open. It don't matter who comes you, you, you want to come run a kata, come run a kata, you know, like it's open to anybody. Like, and, and so sometimes you had those really unique performances. I think back to, uh, I would like to say maybe 2008 or 2009 and we were performing down South and we came up against uh, one of our, um, I think best competitors, just in the fact that it was so diverse where the guys that were doing self-defense against us were doing, um, the kata unsu, which is a Japanese kata for anybody who might never have heard of that. But as the guy was performing the kata, the, the ukis around him are attacking him. So he's doing the bunkai, the applications, the self-defense parts of the kata. So he's just running a kata, but beating up people as he does it, which to me, I really enjoyed it because it was creative. It was something different that I never seen in self-defense yet. But um, that specific year, I had really been heavily influenced in uh, jujitsu. Um, I, I took a trip down to Henzo Gracie's uh, a couple of times that year. So I was in the blue basement. And uh, like I said, Henzo was a really uh, big influence, uh, not just as like a person, such a charismatic, you know, teacher and stuff like that. But I took, I thought, okay, you know, if we can bring some of this nobody's seen that style. Like I, I had done a pro wrestling style into it. So, but now I wonder how this Brazilian jiu-jitsu can incorporate. So we had this guy running Unsu doing Bunkai and then us doing a flow of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and uh, really, really fun. And uh, so like you're saying, it's great to see all the different styles out there. Yeah. And when you mentioned about Bunkai, the one, one name that comes to mind is Ian Abernathy. Yeah. He's very known to um, apply, um, like um, try to break down a kata and try to provide up, uh, let's say apply self defense with it. So I mean, I've um, taken a sub- couple of the seminars. I'm uh, 
and uh, I just, you know, kind of get your wheels turning, saying like, uh, like the kinds that you're doing could be a self-defense um technique, just like it could be different variations of self-defense. Oh yeah, um, in my early days, I had no interest in it, uh, to be honest, uh, because I was just performing for show. Like the judges aren't going to ask me nothing about bunkai. I, if it looks good, they're going to give me the trophy. So I don't care about bunkai. Just what kata looks the coolest. What can I do to win? That was my early years. Now, obviously, as I'm old and I teach a lot as well, um, it's really interesting to actually go into that. And once again, I even actually have started to, like, you know, incorporate, okay, like, so how close are so many of these arts? Like, once again, if you go to, like, the Southern uh, Shaolin monk idea with Wing Chun and how they influenced uh, the Japanese and the Goju system. But if you can, you know, work off of grabs and wrist releases with your circle blocks, but next thing, because you're connected, you can strike and then you got them locked up in a, a key lock or a double wrist lock. And uh, now you're taking, you know, Wing Chun for your Goju and finishing it off with a catch as catch can. And uh, that's what is really uh, awesome about what we do because um, if you have an open-minded instructor, mind you, that, that will allow you to be creative, then you can have a lot of fun with what you're doing. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, that's like, um, like, I'm trying to like, like think when I'm doing all these kind of, like, you know, you know, oh yeah. Speaking of, um, when I did my fourth degree test, I had to, to create my own form. Yeah. Oh. And that, I mean, I'm surprised they never asked me like, like, like what am I doing in this kind of, you know, normally. I've watched fourth degree black belt tests and, you know, it's like the testing board ask you like, uh, what are you doing in this kata? And like, what the moves that you, they understand the moves, but like, like, what are you doing with these moves? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm surprised they never asked me that, but you know, I was prepared to actually tell them like my, like the story of the kata. like, really, that's pretty much what the kata is doing. You're telling the story and like you're interpreting what you're doing. Yeah, so was this a pre-made up form or did you have to make it up on the spot? Oh, it was like pre-formed. It's like I had to create it. Like that was like my requirement for the uh, test. Yeah. yeah, that's neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hard to do. That's not easy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like, well, at least I got it out of the way. So that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. So before we kind of get to our hidden dojo um, segment of the interview, uh, here's the last question. Uh, what um, inspirational quote do you describes your journey? great question and i don't know if i'm ready for it um there's so many man there's so many uh so many great quotes i i almost think quotes go depending on the mood of the day <laughs> you ever get that like i don't yeah. know that, that probably is the cheesiest answer to get my way out of that question but uh it like if i want like i already mentioned like okay the easiest thing in the world to do is quit so like, that's something that I say often to the kids, because that's just what I want to drive home to them. So that's something that is one of my favorites, because I'm driving that to them about a we don't quit, you know, anything's possible, right. But uh, same thing, because I read so much, like I use a lot of quotes. Um, even when I'm posting on social media, you know, I could be looking and uh, I think last week I grabbed an, a Nelson Mandela quote. Uh, the week before that, I had uh, read a book, As a Man Thinketh, and I took a quote from that one. Um, so I depend. I think it's really depending on what is in front of me. I don't think I actually have a favorite quote, to be honest with you. It's the, depending on the feeling of the day or the week and where my brain is at at that moment. All right. So, yeah, there's no 
actual quote that you can think of, but yeah, it's like depending on how you feel during the day, that's like the quote that you really use. Yeah, I'm looking for them all the time. Like uh, I'm looking like, uh, you know, for instance, if we're we got a grading coming up and there's a belt test and I got all these belts lined up on the floor and there's certificates and, uh, you know, it just comes back to, uh, you know, let's get to a martial arts quote. So Henzo Gracie uh, famously said that, um, you know, there's more of an education on these mats as as there is in any Ivy league university, you know, and uh, it's the absolute truth. Like you learn a lot about yourself on the mat. So that quote for that situation um, is huge. You know, I think the, I can't remember the exact, like, let's say Mandela quotes I was uh, thinking of, but it had to do with just, you know, love, kindness and changing the world and stuff like that. I'm always big on those ones uh, because it's absolutely true. Like uh, I think our society is very, um, you know, it's struggling. We've had this huge pandemic and, uh, you know, as I do, these kids have gone back to school, but it's not been easy and, uh, they're still suffering. You know, we're, whether we say we're out of this pandemic or not, um, different story from what their mental is, uh, and how it's effective. So, um, I do a lot of kind of love and kindness quotes because we want to make, uh, you know, every kid feel like, uh, they're worth something, you know, uh, I was, I was talking about my boy earlier about FASD and stuff like that, you know, and there's a lot of special needs kids or kids are out there on the spectrum. You said, uh, yeah, ADHD, you know, there's kids like that who don't learn the same as every other kid. And, uh, you know, so I actually find a lot of quotes that are kind of backing up that case that, you know, some of the most famous people of all time who have been big time history changers, um, they have these quotes and it's just always about let's include everybody. Like everybody needs to be a part of this village and it will take the village to raise up these young men to be the best that they can possibly be and be successful. So, you know, that's, you know, so I, I don't know, like uh, the original question, I'm searching for any quote that's going to be very meaningful. Cause I, I think there's a lot of powerful quotes out there from a lot of really awesome people that have come before us. Oh yeah. The way the, the last thing you mentioned, like, yeah, it takes a community to almost raise you. It doesn't take one person. It just takes a community. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and not everybody understands that. Right. And like, uh, I, I think my next journey in life, as much as I love teaching kids and trying to support kids, but I think I also want to be reaching out. Like part of the reason why I'm doing my, my, my speech, you know, being a, a speaker and an author now coming up, um, I want to reach adults too, because I don't know if all the adults understand uh, the magnitude of what we're doing. Like there's some great teachers out there. There's some great coaches out there, but even in the same token as, uh, as great of a football coach there could be, or as great of a, you know, a high school teacher there could be, they don't necessarily know about all of these special needs kids and these kids who are on the spectrum and how to reach them. And, uh, I almost want to be that bridge right now. That's kind of been a big thing for me, which is why I've been wrestling with those embrace our journey t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, at these pro wrestling shows has just been all about, uh, you know, my boy's different, you know, and he learns different and, uh, we got to fight. Like, what do you, what do you give up on a kid like that? You know? Oh, well, you're different. So, okay. You, you know, you can't do it like these guys. So you're out of luck. No. How can we leave any kid behind? Right. So, I don't care what they got, you know, autism, ADHD, FASD, they're all important. And that's my goal 
uh, like any adult, if you're into teaching, you run a martial arts school, you should be into helping that kid no matter how you have to help them. Same with the football coach. Same with the high school teacher. You know, yeah, not everybody's going to be good at math. Nobody's going to be, you know, always the ace at math. But, you know, we can still help guide them and get them through that and be successful at that. And uh, that's where I, I really uh, feel that I would like to go to help, uh, you know, do that. The education system needs a lot. Yeah, I can relate. It's like we need to be educated on like um special need special needs. Well, I don't like to say special needs. I mean, say, I say everybody has special needs. It's just like human needs, pretty much. That's yeah. It. yeah. Some of the terms are tough. I I get it. Yeah, it's, I find it interesting using them too. Um, and I don't actually like them, but I think it's just the lingo that we have to. You know, I've done a a few different podcasts as well. Me and my boy have done some FASD podcasts, uh, talking about uh, his journey and how I've tried to help. And um, yeah, it's just some topics that you, you, you kind of sometimes feel maybe a little awkward. Like I, I originally didn't want to talk about them, but now that I've opened up, I, I feel that like I need to, you know, like it was the same thing. Like, so I would send my boy out to a, a football team or something like that. And he would try out for football. And of course you're not going to tell the coaches anything because you don't, he can't be treated any different, you know, sorry, William, you just got to try harder than everybody else. If you're going to make this team, because we can't say, Hey, this kid's, you know, that's special. No, no. Like, you know, go give it your all kid. You got to do this. Right. But then once again, the, these, the coaches need to be educated about it because William's not the only one out there like this. And there's other kids and I don't want them sitting at home, not doing anything because they feel like they can't. I want them at that field being a part of that community once again, and feeling that they're contributing, you know, they, they might not necessarily become the star quarterback or whatever all-star, but man, they're a part and it's successful and it means the world to them. And that's all we need. You know, when, when did we as humans give up on um, just making kids feel like they're important, right? Like that's the worst thing we could do. If, if there's a kid going home and sitting in his bed thinking that ah, he's not really that important, you know, what he does isn't important. No, everybody's important. We can find something for everybody or we can teach them. And we can find them like we as the adults bring it out in them like they are a kid. They can't bring it out on themselves, just like here on the martial arts mat. Not every kid is going to be the all star kicker, puncher, double legs, arm bars. I sometimes have to really work for a certain kid to bring out their best to find their greatness. And so that's my job. That's what I'm here for. That's what I signed up for. You know, if it was, you know, if all the kids were easy to teach, we, we would be bored. I wouldn't want to teach anymore. It would be boring. We want to reach those, you know, kids who, you know, maybe aren't technically classic students and have a hard time and they struggle because that's the victories when those, all, those kids all of a sudden do it, then it's even sweeter. That victory is the best, you know, and I, I think we need to take that to the education system because they need to find it there too. How many hours a day did they spend in school? They need to be, they need to be finding it there. You know, if they're, they're away from their parents and away from their homes with other adults, then those same qualities of what we got to bring out in them has to translate over. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You know, you try to like get these kids to look forward to coming to school or coming to cry every day. Cause based on like how you like teach the class, you know, you know, you always want to be that person that makes things interesting. Just so they say, I want to go to karate. I mean, I look forward to it. It's like, this is my almost, uh, 
like escape from what I'm doing with um everything else. So, yeah. That could be. And that's a big thing. Yeah. I'm glad it's nice that you brought that up too. Like I, I always tell, uh, especially my leadership members who are usually like, you know, if they're other teenagers helping, you know, sometimes we are the best place of their day. Maybe they hate school. Maybe they don't do well at school and maybe they're being bullied or whatever, you know, or man, maybe their home life's tough. Maybe they're poor and they don't, they're, they're, they're not getting food. They're hungry. You know, they're not, they don't, they can't afford, you know, the food or whatever. Maybe their parents are fighting or maybe their parents have gone through a divorce and they're kind of in the middle of that storm. If they come to us and then they don't have that good experience with us, then we're not helping. We're only adding to that problem. We need to be that best part of the day. As you said, they need to remember us as like, no matter what, okay, you know what? School sucked, home sucked. I got to get to the dojo and that, that can be my place. You know, uh, in a perfect world, we would like all three, right? Home school, karate school type deal would be yeah. you know amazing for every kid. Uh, unfortunately it's not right. But if we can somehow encourage, uh, you know, being the best part of their day or maybe influence outside with other coaches and teachers to, be like-minded like us then it'd be great all right all right so everybody we have reached our um hitting dojo segment of the interview so this is where things get interesting and of course i'm gonna ask seven questions to you so this is almost like a game like uh i kind of got this idea from larry king uh he did <laughs> he did an interview with mr t he kind of calls this game only if you knew so i call this the hitting dojo all okay right, so. yeah because you yeah yeah this was the uh not brought up beforehand all of a sudden so yeah. all right but i'm ready for it I'm, I'm up to a challenge i like a good challenge all right so here's the first question the best piece of advice you ever gotten and who said it mom easy dream big have fun work hard she said you can do anything right like you can be anything you want to be you know, uh, but you got to enjoy it. You got to be having fun, you know, and I've, I've kept that all the way through, you know, like her job, her passion was to get me out of those uh, projects or out of the welfare housing and make something of myself. And uh, so that's the dream big. And then, like I said, I even tell my kids this to this day, if I'm not having fun, I'm quitting, you know, if I'm not enjoying myself at something, I don't want to do it. You know, I want to have fun every single day. I wake up and I'm happy and I'm looking forward to doing uh, the work, which is the last part of that, you know, dream big, have fun and work hard. You have to, you have to work hard. Like there's no doubt about that. You can't just dream big without putting in a lot of work and everything that I've been able to do uh, was some uh, hard work. But, and like I said, thanks mom for uh, giving me that advice. Yeah, definitely. All right. Here's this next question. You see people don't get this one. Uh, the worst advice you ever gotten. Huh. I don't know if it would be as, uh, the worst advice I've ever gotten or just, uh, you know, things you see. Um, so I, I guess I would tell people, you know, you, you gotta be very educated. I think we're a little bit better off in the world today with, you know, technology and we have access to information and stuff like that. But, um, the worst information, it's not actually been given to me, but like I said, I would just tell people to really, uh, you know, like you, you gotta cover yourself. So I had a first, uh, martial arts deal for an Academy when I was first going to open up and I was so dumb. I was young, 20 years old. Oh, Hey, I'm going to open up a business. And I had a handshake agreement with an adult who I thought, you know, I was going to be able to lease a property off of, but little did I know, you know, shaking a man's hand wasn't actually a deal. Like you needed leases and permits and this and that. And long story short, I never, uh, never opened up at that first Academy. You know, I built him a car showroom and, uh, 
so I, I guess, you know, it's not a worst piece of advice, but uh, I, I think you just got to learn along the way, you know, you're going to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to suck. <laughs> and uh, you just, you know, learning and move forward, keep moving forward. So that's kind of like the uh, advice for me about when things go wrong, if that helps. <laughs> that yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, guilty pleasure. How would you reward yourself? Uh, I'm a simple person, man. I uh, bought this real estate here in Chippewa, which is just outside of Niagara Falls. It's part of Niagara Falls, but it's a little village outside of it. And it's right on the water. So I'm not going to lie. My, my, what makes me happy is I'm going to, you know, be right by that water. I can be working on a tan soaking up that vitamin D and I'm going to go swim. And I, if I can jump in some water, you know, it don't matter. You know, I've already been in a couple times this year and the water, like it's been like early fifties, you know, 51, you know, to 57 degrees and it's cold, but I, I love swimming. And so, yeah, I think that's my uh, guilty pleasure that I need to, uh, you know, there's nothing like uh, before a class going and sitting in the sun and then jumping in the, the water and then, okay, now I'm ready to go. So I like to definitely always uh, make that a part as many times as I can. Hey. All right. If you were in a famous movie, uh, what movie would you want to be in? Well, that's a great one. That's a great question. Um, Got to go with one of those old Kung Fu. Uh, yeah. Five Deadly Venoms is a classic, right? That was always a really, really great one. Um, there's a couple of those where you had Shaolin versus Wu-Tang or the, uh, I, I can't even remember the name of it, uh, Kwantung. Oh, what was it? And, uh, but those were good. Or even just, you know, I, I think, uh, could you imagine how, being a part of that game of death as Bruce Lee works through? Like, I, I love that fight scene with him versus Kareem. And uh, it's such a classic, you know, being a part of that, I think, would be uh, really amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like you always got to be a part of that um, Kung Fu movie or martial arts movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to my head, you know. Uh, yeah, I'd just be a stuntman and take a bump somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, secret talent. Secret talent. Um, I'm a coach. Like, that's uh, my best quality and my best thing I've learned to do with my life is coach. And it started through martial arts. But I think people would usually be surprised to, you know, know how many different things I've gotten, you know, certified for that can coach, you know, like I've been, uh, obviously pro wrestling. So I've been able to coach a little pro wrestling, but through the kids, uh, I've been able to be a part of the football teams and I've been an O-line coach, a defensive lineman coach. I've had seminars. I, I, I taught seminars, how to, uh, you know, use wrestling for football. And, uh, so I did, uh, what was called a gridiron grappling seminar and, uh, it's not necessarily a hidden talent, but I don't think a lot of people always, you know, think of that. And uh, so I've reached out to try to get to as many of those as I possibly could. Just like, like I said earlier about, you know, doing my sports management degree at Columbia. Uh, that was something that was a little bit off the wall, you know, but even, you know, I have a, had to throw shot put certificate, you know? Uh, so I, I like sports. I like, uh, you know, strength stuff, sports, you know, and just anything physical for kids. So, um, the the talents coaching the the secret is maybe the what i actually can coach 
Amazing. All right. Dream celebrity encounter. Hmm. Well, I'll tell a story that I actually uh, wrote in my book, and it's not necessarily like my all-time favorite celebrity. Actually, it, 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 can I do two? Am I allowed to do two? Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can do two. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the first one was just, you know, we go back to the wrestling days. And so my mom used to take me down to the Caverly Hotel back in the day where they would have to show WrestleMania as a part of like a whatever closed circuit TV, you know, um, they would set up the big screen. They would sell hot dogs and chips and stuff like that. And all, all of us could sit in front of the screen and watch WrestleMania. My mom brought me to that every single year. And, um, you know, so it's one of those things where, okay, so I am sitting there watching somebody like Jake, the snake Roberts and Jake, the snake Roberts. I, I think I'm not hundred percent sure on this, but I think I had his last tag team match, his last match in Canada. Um, I was his partner and, um, it, it's so weird cause it's, it, it, of all places, it was at like the Dunville agricultural fair up here in Ontario. But so to go from the Caverly to, you know, watching WrestleMania to tagging with Jake, that, uh, to me, that's a big, uh, celebrity meet, I guess, if we could call that, that, but the other one that I'll go real quickly was, um, I'll go back to my Henzo Gracie story. So one time I was there and it was Friday night and, um, Henzo always would treat you like you're his long lost, you know, cousin. Um, he was the nicest person. And so, yeah, he was Jeremy, where are you going? You know, I was just going to go back to the hotel or whatever. Um, some days, sometimes some trips I would actually go in and out of New York city on the same day. Cause as you know, it's a 50 minute flight from Buffalo to JFK. Mm -hmm. So I could be at the dojo in the morning and then come home at night still. But, um, on this occasion, I'm, I'm staying at a hotel down there and, um, most people don't realize Henzo Gracie is a, a huge backgammon uh, person. He's more competitive, I think, at backgammon than he is at MMA and jiu-jitsu. Like, he don't want to lose at that. He ain't going to lose at that. But here I am sitting on a Friday night, and uh, I'm in New York City. You know, once again, this small kid from a welfare house in Niagara in New York City, around the corner from Madison Square Garden, sitting with Henzo Gracie, who I just did a jiu-jitsu class with, and then in walks uh, Chuck Zito, just out of nowhere. Chuck Zito comes in, sits down, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, like I, I texted my best friend, Chad, and I said, listen, man, you're not going to believe this. You know, I'm in New York City right now, and I'm watching Henzo Gracie play backgammon, and I'm sitting beside Chuck Zito, who just randomly walked in on a Friday night. And I'm like, this is my life. <laughs> so those are two that right off the top, man, just stand out. You know, one pro wrestling, one martial arts thing. It, it, it's been a wild life. Yeah, I mean, of course, um, I was a big Hulk Hogan fan, and um, uh, you know, I always like had lunchbox. I dressed up as him as Halloween. Yeah, and of course, uh, I always used to play him when I um uh, played um wrestling video games, and then of course, um, uh, back in 2018, I was like a friend of mine uh, who was also a wrestling fan. You know, I went to school with her, and you know, we always talk about like what happened on SmackDown. I well, I mean, I didn't used to have UPN back um when I was um uh, in uh middle school and um she usually always talk about the results and you know and then the, she sends a message to me that um hulk hogan was going to be at um a comic-con in um, buffalo uh the nickel city con and i was like oh yeah this would be my opportunity to actually meet hulk hogan and then of course here i am i got the money to buy his photo op and then here i am in a mario outfit actually next stand next to hulk hogan really that was like amazing i looked up to this guy for years and this is 
actually got to meet him. That's tremendous. Yeah. That's tremendous. Did you get a little time to talk with him at all, or was it a really quick in and out? Yeah, it was a quick in and out, you know, but his line for his um, autograph was going like from his, uh, this table all the way to like probably outside almost. Around the building. Yeah, yeah. around. The, yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Here's the last one. Uh, you're 10 years from now. Where am I going to be? Yeah, like where you see yourself 10 years from now. Uh, um, I would have never, if you asked me 10 years ago, if I would be where I am now, I, I don't know if I would believed it. You know, the amount of things I've done in pro wrestling, as we've talked about getting into a martial arts museum. Um, I came back one more year. Uh, I kind of retired from sport karate, but I came back one more year because there was a couple champions that I had watched uh, win a lot. And uh, I, oh, I got to come back. I want to beat them too. And uh, I went undefeated my last year. Um, of course, who would have predicted COVID and the two years of teaching on Zoom? But even during that, I bought a building and I have a a, a real estate, you know, commercial property. Um, I would have never thought that. Um, so I guess where I'm going now is, uh, hey, let's 10x that again, right? Where are we going to go? Uh, I'm writing a book. So this is just the start. So where's that going to take me in 10 years? Am I going to write more books? Is this book going to create more speaking opportunities? Um, I I think the speaking, same thing too. If, uh, you know, the speaking gigs, you know, how far can I get? You know, we can do the one good thing about COVID was we got Zoom like we're on now. We can be really close anywhere in the world. So maybe I'm doing Zoom presentations uh, to larger companies. corporations or whatever you know doing seminars for coaches seminars for teachers really pushing this uh you know uh spectrum stuff so we've we've done a few fundraisers with a a local wrestling company we like last night and we're raising funds so where the money we've raised at these pro wrestling shows we're going to sponsor kids to train in martial arts who uh you know have one of those stories so those kids and those families who need us um, they can come see us. And, uh, this is going to lead to, um, you know, FASD day, FASD day is every September 9th. So this year I know we're going to do something really big with it. We're in the planning stages of that. So who knows where that goes the next, uh, you know, 10 years. So it's almost like I'm planting all the seeds today. You know, I'm an author, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm doing FASD day. And so where these take me in 10 years, man, I'm really excited about that. And, um, I, I got a lot of great people in my life that I, I, um, are helping. You always want to get yourself around the, you know, you can't be the smartest person in the room, as they say, you got to get around people who are better than you. And right now I know there's some people that I'm trying to work through, um, whether it be how to approach, you know, this, uh, special needs world and education system, whether it be uh, reaching the sports coaches, um, even something as simple as, you know, the weightlifting. I love introducing weightlifting to kids and how can we get that into more of a normal education process, you know? So like what, what big of an impact, how much can I expand in 10 years, man? I hope I'm like, I hope I'm huge TJ, to be honest with you. I hope, you know, there are more books. I hope there's so much speaking. I hope, I, I, I create a program, you know, for how coaches can deal with kids. You know, I can find people in that, uh, 
aspect of how to create programs so other adults can learn how to affect kids because I can only affect so many kids. But if I now help, and this is where my mental is now. And so I think for 10 years, I would love to see where this is. I need to lead the adults because if I can help, you know, 500 kids, but then I get 10 adults who also can help 500 kids. Oh, well, man, I didn't do great in math class, but you know where I'm getting at. There's going to be more kids helped. And I I don't care. Uh, The U.S., your side of the border, you guys are struggling. The kids are struggling my side of the border, they're struggling. So I don't care. You know, let's reach Canada. Let's reach the U S why do we have borders? You know, they're kids. The kids don't care about border. They want to have a great life and 10 years. I want to be responsible for making a lot of great kids. Yeah, amazing. All right. So before we kind of um, exit out this um, podcast, uh, is there any last minute words you'd like to say to those listeners out there? Yeah. Um, I, first of all, I appreciate you guys. Uh, for listening. I appreciate you, uh, TJ, to, uh, for having me on. Once again, we're celebrating this 100th uh, podcast here. So I think we've had a great conversation tonight. I think we've covered so much and uh, I hope to come back again. Um, and in the meantime, for any of those listeners out there, please follow me. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Jeremy Elliott and for Niagara Falls. Um, even give my boy a follow. Go give my boy some love. William Gibson, and at for Niagara Falls, uh, he's going to be making his pro wrestling uh, debut soon. So, and he's uh, done so much in his life. And like I said, for what he's battled in his FASD, um, our embrace our journey for the awareness campaign. I want that to be blown up. So uh, check that out, share our logo. The t-shirts are on pro wrestling tees.com. And uh, I guess last but not least, Hey, life is an art paint your picture with your passion go to coachjeremyelliot.com and you can pre-order that today on that website or Amazon. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. And it's going to be wonderful. So definitely we hope for definitely to see you down the road, like within 10 years to you make big, even go all over the real world. So definitely people will know who you are. We'll make sure we do a catch up podcast uh, at the 10 year anniversary and we'll come back to it and we'll see where we're at. Hopefully uh, this podcast continues to blow up and help change people's lives as well. Ah, amazing. All right. So thank you again. So I'm going to do my little closing. All right. So for those who are just tuning into my um, episode, uh, to my podcast, of course, this is 100 episode. You can catch my other 99 episodes on the BICBPRadio.com, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I'll see you next time for 100 of and one episode of the kick pod this is your host tj williams bowing you out